0: a guy named Andy Stanley. Uh, many of you know that. Uh, I would encourage you to do that as well with Right Now Media. There's just some great material there on all kinds of different topics. Uh, he's got some great thoughts on marriage, great thoughts on uh on life, on management, on leadership. Uh, One of the ones that I listened to a while ago and then just kind of restarted listening to it again is one called Starting Point. Uh, And so we've done a series by Andy Stanley where we did his whole series. This is not one of those times. It's more so that uh, based on the stuff that he was teaching in that series that just grabbed me. And there were certain thoughts I thought, man, that looks nothing like Kingsway, what he's talking about. And then there's some things I looked at and like, man, that is like totally us. So I've taken some of the stuff that he's put out there. Uh, kingsway fight it a little bit for you this morning so that it um, um, relates to this place. But I, I, I felt really challenged. So this morning, I'm actually going to ask you, which I probably never do, I'm actually going to ask you to listen. Really listen and really think. Because I I know, I know, right? It's like a novel idea. But um, I I don't want you to mishear what I'm saying this morning because I'm going to get emails and phone calls. And last night I had people right after the service was over, they are like booking it. They never come talk to me, but they were talking to me right after. Like, what did you mean by, and and what did you, you said, and and I I want you to think. Uh, I'm going to challenge your thoughts this morning with some things maybe you haven't thought about before. Uh, And uh, I I believe it's um, definitely for your good. Otherwise, I wouldn't um, wouldn't say it. But uh, I want to... Everything has a starting point. Everything has a starting point. You had a starting point. Some of you were started on purpose, and some of you—and oops—that your parents got to name, right? So, uh, but we're glad you're here. Some of you, are, you're, you're the you're the product of modern science. Um, some. Uh, some of, you know, I'm just glad you're here. We're glad you had a starting point. You know, as you go through life, there's other parts that have a starting point. Your, your schooling had a starting point. Your romance, you know, that had a starting point. Like, it probably if it was like me. You were like nine, and it was your cousin. And, uh, you know, you moved on from there, right? Right? Good. All right. So, uh, but it started somewhere back in, the, back in the day. And then, you know, your marriage had a starting point. Parenting had a starting point. Your career had a starting point. You can look back to those days and go, yeah, that's where I started. Um, but something that we don't often look at is the fact that our faith, this idea of be- what we believe, had a starting point somewhere in our lives. And for most of us, that started in childhood. For, for many of us, that, that happened way back when. And there was these things that we, that we started uh, building uh, what we believe and building our faith. And maybe for you, it was church. Maybe it was VBS somewhere. Maybe it was, um, maybe it was a neighbor, a pastor, your parents. But somewhere along the line, there was a starting point for what you believe. Um, the Barner Research Group and the, um, the International Bible Society both did studies on when do people most likely come to, to faith in Jesus Christ? And how long do they stay? What's kind of the, the, the track of, of how people are a part of church and are a part of um, the Christian faith? And this is what they found. The numbers are, are a little bit apart between the two studies. One says 85%, the other says 94 but both of those numbers are extremely high. Between 85 and 94% of people decide to follow Christ before the age of 21 how many of you would be in that category? Like, yes, I decided to follow Christ before I was 21. They say that 6% are, are people who decided to, to follow Christ after the age of 21. How many of you would fit in infla- that category? See, see, Kingsway is nothing like the Barn of Research. We are bringing that stat up, right? Where it's finding people, yeah, exactly, after... That uh, And and it's interesting, they talk about the dynamics of people who found Jesus Christ at a young age and others who found, you know, those who are, you're in the 21 category. When you made that decision, you're more likely to be involved, actively engaged in following Jesus Christ. People who read the Word, people who uh, grow in that knowledge of Christ, those are the plus 21s. But that's not the majority. The majority is actually the other side, where people decide to follow Christ at at a much younger age. And then they go through the statistics and they find that out of that, that only, they, the, most people choose it up to the age of 21, but by the time they hit the end of high school, something drastically changes. One out of those 10 um, uh, uh, in that group decide, I want nothing to do with Christianity anymore. Nothing to do with faith. I don't need it. Four out of 10 decide that, you know what? Yeah, uh, I'm still a Christian, but uh, you know, I'm not really, I, I go to church every once in a while, but I don't know. Yeah, if you ask me, I'm, yeah, I'm a Christian, but it doesn't really mean anything more than that. decide, man, what I learn in church just doesn't add up with life. And I don't know, there's got to be more, but I don't know where I'm going to find it. And then there's about 3 out of 10 that say, yes, I'm going to continue to follow Jesus Christ. And they're actively involved in following Christ. 7 out of 10 decide, no, 3 out of 10 decide, yes, I'm going to stay in that. And that's kind of a a scary statistic when, uh, when you think about it. And part of the problem is that the faith that we learn as children doesn't always measure up or hold up once we become adults and experience adult stuff. It's like the things we go through as adults all of a sudden challenge what we learned as children, and we're like, "Ugh, I don't know anymore." There's a girl named Karen Armstrong. She wrote a book called um, "The Case for God," and here's just one uh, one thought uh, from the from that book. It says this: Many of us have been left stranded. And I, I, that word is um, interesting. Many of us have been left stranded with an incoherent concept of God. We learned about God about the same time that we were told about Santa Claus. And while our understanding of Santa Claus, um, the Santa Claus phenomenon, it evolved and matured. If you still believe in him, sorry to break that to you, but right. So we, but our theology remains somewhat infantile. Not surprisingly, when we attained intellectual maturity, many of us rejected the God we had inherited and denied that he even existed. This is not written by a Christian author. She's writing about just this idea of the, uh, of the case for God, but saying the stuff that we learned as children, it didn't grow. For so many of uh, people that found faith at a young age, it never matured with them. Uh, they matured, they thought different things, but they kept this kind of, this, this um, child-like uh, belief in, in God and certain things. And then it got challenged and it didn't hold up to the challenge. What they based their foundation on as a child never grew and, and so it doesn't hold up. So we want to talk about the foundation for, for many who are in that category, and this is what I want you to focus on, is the foundation, the starting point. What it's all based on was built on some of these kind of thoughts. Thoughts like this. God is good. You know, maybe you were like a, one of those kids who had the prayer before uh, meals. Well, how's it go? God is good. God is, let us for our food. So you, you, some of you were in that spot. You thought, you know, God is good. You, you th- learn things like God punishes evil and rewards good. Very similar to Santa Claus. Wouldn't you agree? You know, be a good little boy or else you know what? You're, you're, there's a hell, and you know what? And, and bad things are going to happen to you if you don't, um, if you don't obey God, and it depends on what church you are part of. It could be any number of things that were uh, in that category of punishment. This thought, God answers prayer. You've heard back in the day, yeah, God answers prayer. God speaks audibly. You would have heard stories you know as a kid of samuel you know and eli when he's laying in his bed and he hears the voice in the middle of the night and he's like whoa what somebody i hear voices and eli says oh it's the lord just say you know speak lord for your servants listening and you you get this thought okay god speaks audibly you hear the stories um, and and things where you know parents uh, and and well-meaning say things like this the bible says the bible says honor your mother you know or else it will not go well for you i don't care if you like it the bible says you're like All right, as a child, you can base some thoughts on, okay, well, the Bible says, so I'm going to do that. The problem is that our adult experiences often chip away at this foundation. And maybe you're part of that group where you look at it and go, yeah, you know what? It's true. I I always thought that God is good, but now I'm at a spot where I I look at my world and I cannot reconcile that. Because if God's good, then why is this terrible stuff happening to children? Why is this terrible stuff happening in people's lives? I used to sing this song, He's got the whole world in his hands. But if he does, he's a lousy manager. If he's managing it, how come all the money and food is in this part of the world and there's kids starving in Africa? I can't reconcile that. If God's so good, why is that happening? God punishes evil and rewards good. You know, this thought of, well, I did you know, I did what I thought. You know, I, I, I kept myself pure before marriage and my marriage isn't working out. You know, I did all the things that I thought were were right to do, but my job's not working out. I thought I was, you know, going to be a good kid, and, you know, now I'm at the spot in life, and it just, it doesn't, it's not working out. It's not the way I thought it was. And I know people who are way worse than me, and their lives are working out. Why? You know, know, this this thing of God answers prayer. (laughs) Sure he does, for some people around this building, but not mine. You know, yeah, you know, I, I heard God answers prayer, but you know, we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and my mom prayed, and she's like one of the best people I know, and my brother still died. We prayed, God, you answer prayer, but you didn't answer mine. God, you speak audibly, and I've asked, and I've said, God, would you talk to me? I want to know what you want for me. I don't hear anything. I've heard you tell me this. I've heard you tell me this. I don't hear anything. The Bible says, Mark, I know the Bible says that we should do this and we should do this and we should do this, but at my job, it doesn't matter. The Bible says this, but in my marriage, it doesn't doesn't work. The Bible says, but in my life, it doesn't work. See, and the danger in this is that if that's your foundation, for, for many of us, that's where our foundation started. If that remains your foundation, it gets chipped away Pretty soon it doesn't hold up anymore. And you become part of the statistic that Karen mentioned of it, it begins to think of, well, mm, that, didn't mm, that didn't work. That didn't work. Maybe he doesn't exist. And that's incredibly dangerous. And why does that happen when we get to college and we get to university? It's because it gets challenged. It's this idea of, well, yeah, the Bible's sacred, but it's not scientific. Yeah, it might be that, you know, those stories are inspirational, but I don't know if they're true. And it begins to challenge that. And all of a sudden you're like, ah, yeah, well, the Bible says, hmm, that. And it's like, oh, I don't know. And we've seen it as a youth pastor. I watched it. I'd pour my heart and life into kids. And then they'd go to university and be like, Pfft. no, Mark, <laughs> I don't know. It was fun at youth group, but it doesn't work in the real world. That's concerning to me concerning to me one of the reasons why we put so much effort and I love that there's 30 kids down in kids church this morning in just one class because that's the greatest chance to inspire them but we want to build a foundation that's going to last and that's part of what I want to challenge you with today if you're part that said yeah my foundation was kind of built there here's some thoughts for you Um, if you've um, been reading the news at all lately there's a whole lot of riff, riff roaring going around about this idea of being vaccinated against measles um, if, you haven't, if you haven't heard, uh, it's there. Just leave this up for a little bit. The, there's a lot of hype about that. And you know, the, the thing about the vaccination is that they take, as if you look at the definition of it, they, they take a, a little bit of the dead or inactive um, virus, and they put that into your system, and it makes you immune to the real thing. See, the most tragic um, um, inoculation has nothing to do with measles. The most tragic inoculation actually may have to do with your faith life. Because as a child, or when you're younger, when you were formulating these things possibly for you, it was that you just got a little bit of dead or inactive faith. You know, it wasn't really real. It didn't really mean anything. It's kind of in there, and it's inoculated you to the real thing. It's put up these barriers and these walls in your life where you're like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you went to church, and it just turned you right off. And you're here kind of with that hope of somebody said, hey, it can be different. And you're like, I don't know, but stop bothering me. I'll come once or twice just to make sure that I can tell you it's the same as everything else. And you're here and you're hoping maybe, just maybe, something might might rise up on the inside. See, but not all the people who've kind of had this inoculation against genuine faith in Jesus Christ have left the church. There's lots who are still sitting in pews, sitting in chairs this morning who have lost what it all actually means. Your faith journey, it's a routine. It's, it's not something that's real and life-giving in your life anymore. It's this idea of your faith journey has become a simple tradition. It's not a truth that you live by. It's your weekend habit, but it's not affecting your life. And it's dangerous. It's dangerous. Adults often need a new starting point for faith. They need a chance to restart to push the restart button on, you know, where they start this this idea of building a faith foundation. Um, The restart button, you know, when I was in in grade school, there was this kid in my class, we were in in Dunville, his name was Andy, and Andy was the fastest runner in our school. He just was like a blur. And uh, we had this 800 meter race, and I remember it vividly, because I didn't win it. And uh, we were there, and uh, we're all lining up, and Andy was so competitive that he would actually... Um, Even just as we were getting lined up to run the 800, you don't line up in rows, you line up in a group. He was like first one on the edge of the track so that going around the oval, he would have the best chance to get out in front and nobody would ever catch him. So he started there, but some of the other guys decided to push him off the track as soon as the gun went. And so he was kind of into the middle area there with the grass in the circle. And he booked it across the grass a little bit and got back in front and was just... Way out in front. As we're running around, we see there goes Andy, and we're just running, like, plodding behind. And as we get around to the, it's two laps of 400 meters, I get to the 400-meter point, and there's Andy with the, with the referee of the race, and he's crying, and we're like, what happened? But we just keep running, right? You know, now at least I can beat Andy. So I keep going, and I get all the way around, and we find out at the end, he's balling his, he's crying with tears running down his face saying, you know what, um, I got disqualified. Like, and he's telling them, he's like, Somebody pushed me. It wasn't my fault. Someone pushed me. And they said, had you come back on to the, to the, had said right away, hey, stop the race, I got pushed, or could come back on and restarted, it would have been different. But because you went there, he said, well, can't we restart now? And I said, no, you can't restart now. You'd whoop all these four guys who just ran 800 meters. Too late to restart. My encouragement in that story to you is this, don't wait till too late to restart. Some of you are just like, ah, I just kind of cruise on this faith based thing that I built as a child. It's working for me. I'll just keep going this way. Don't wait till it's too late um, to restart. And how do you know if you need a restart? You gotta ask yourself some questions like this. Am I actively engaged in following Jesus in my life today? Am I actively engaged in following Jesus in my life today? Or am I just a Christian? If that's the case, you may need a restart. Does it affect any part of my life other than where I spend an hour on Sunday mornings? If it's the case, you might need a restart. If it's like, yeah, you know what? I don't know if I really believe all the stuff that I read in the Bible anymore. It's just like, eh, you might need a restart. So I want to challenge you with that this morning. See, the, the reason that our faith as a child doesn't always uh, line up is that when you learn faith as a child and as an adult, it's different. Your parents, your pastor, your VBS person, they didn't mean to mislead you. They weren't trying to give you something that was like not going to hold up. That's not what they were doing. When you teach a child something, you teach them, but it was meant to grow. But it looks different when you're an adult. See, as a child, we were taught the Bible. The Bible. We were taught this. This is a book. Given to us as a book, but it's not. This wasn't written as a book. We got it as a book, so we think that all of this stuff that uh, it was meant to always be like this, or that's how it always was, but it, it wasn't. We were taught that, you know, some, everything in the Bible applies to you. Did you realize that this book's not about you? It's not. That everything in the book wasn't even written to you? It wasn't. Some of you got Jeremiah 29, 11 on a mug at home. That wasn't written to you. And you're like, God, the plans that he has for me are good. And yet, you watch them not working out in your life and like, toss the mug. It was never written to you. The Ten Commandments, they weren't written to you. They weren't written to you to try and keep. People had real issue with that one last night. If you want to send me an email... Listen, careful. All right, so this idea, that's why, you know, it was written to somebody. The Bible was written to a certain group of people with a certain truth that once you discover that truth and understand that interpretation, there are multiple applications to our lives, but there's only one interpretation. You cannot read the Bible and say, oh, this is what it means to me. It was never intended to be that, and that's what happens. It builds its foundation on that, and it doesn't stand, uh, doesn't stand the test of time. You know, the Bible says it's not, it's not a good enough reason or a good enough Um, starting point for most adults because they've already done that. I did the Bible says and it didn't work so you might be sitting here this morning like Mark the Bible says you can't really start there but I want to this morning help offer you maybe a new place to say okay I got to restart my faith. Maybe I've been in church my whole life but I I need to restart this idea of faith. The Bible says isn't one of those things. Well you you look at that and realize something about this which is kind of curious is that the early church when it first started They didn't have this. (laughs) Where did they start? Because I think where their starting point as adults needs to be our starting point. They never had the New Testament. They didn't even have the, they had some letters that were being circulated, but there was no such thing as New Testament. So when they were led to Christ, it was never said, the New Testament says. There was no New Testament. There was no, the, the first believers never, never heard of any of that. It wasn't even around for 300 years. The Muratorian Canon is where they put all this together about 300 years after, after Jesus um, was uh, off the planet. They put these books together and said, we're going to call this the Bible. So he says, um, uh, and this morning I want to uh, uh, take a look at that thought. So we're going to take a look in here. If you could, turn to the book of Acts, which you know as the book of Acts, but which actually wasn't a book, some, some of you are like, well, hey, Mark, this is circular reasoning because you just said you can't use the Bible, but now you're telling us to turn to the Bible to see about Jesus to start our starting point. I don't want you to turn to the Bible. I want you to turn to Luke's travel journal, which later was called Acts. It probably looked like this. Luke's travel journal that he had, he was writing about the, the accounts that were happening and a couple hundred years later became the Bible, inspired, the, the, inspired by God to challenge our lives. But here's, here's what it said. This idea in Acts chapter 17, this historical book, Paul is talking, just so you know, Paul's going to be talking to a group of people who have never heard about Jesus before. They've never heard about him. They've never, the, in our country, everyone's heard of Jesus in some form. Whether it's church or a swear word, you've heard his name somewhere. The idea was these people hadn't heard this name at all and Paul begins to talk in, talking to them and um, the, the Bible hadn't been written yet. So Paul, he, didn't, he, was, he had never met Jesus um, uh, when Jesus was on the planet. What Paul knew about Jesus, he knew because of who he knew. He knew John. He knew Peter. He knew, he knew these guys. He knew the eyewitnesses. So what he knew, this is what he knew. And when he had the chance to share with people about it, here's what he said. Acts chapter um, 17. Verse 15, it says this, So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens because he had actually been chased away from the places that he was in. And for his safety, his friends brought him to this place called Athens, which is Athens in Greece. And um, they received a command for Silas and Timothy to come um, come to him with all speed. So they departed. So his friends were with him. He says, hey, I want Silas and Timothy. So they left. And they left Paul. Um, standing uh, in Athens and went to get these other two fellows. So it says in verse 16, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him. Just remember that for a second. His spirit was provoked. What does that mean? He's angry. He was angry about this. His spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. He was angry about um, the, idol, the idol worship that was going on. In verse 17, he says, therefore. He reasoned in the synagogue, which would have been their gathering place for for Jewish people. Um, And he said, so he gathered or reasoned in the synagogue with Jews and Gentile worshipers. Gentile worshipers were people who had converted to Judaism. They weren't people who were Christians. They didn't know about him. Uh, It says, and, and so in the synagogues and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there... So Paul's just engaging people, wherever he is, about religion. He's talking to them about spiritual matters. It says in verse 18, Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, the Epicureans were this group of people who were like, Nah, you can't figure it out, so why bother? Just eat, drink, have another glass of wine, and who cares? Just have a good time. And then he says, there were, so th- some of them were there, and some of the Stoic philosophers were like, You give us enough time, we'll figure it all out. Just give us enough time. And they were like, they'd search everything. So he's talking to both of these groups of people, um, and, and they encountered him. And some of them said, what does this babbler want to say? And others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. He's proclaiming foreign gods, which is a, which is a, a, a bad thing. And you're like, well, why? Because in Rome, they had all the gods they wanted. It was against the law to proclaim any new gods in Rome, anywhere in the Roman Empire. So what he was doing was actually something that they thought would be a, 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 criminal, a, a criminal offense so they take Paul to this place. It says in verse 19. So they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of what you speak. They took Paul to the Areopagus. I got a picture of that. So you read that and think, ah, oh, what's that? You know, it's a weird word. But the Areopagus is actually this big, huge rock right outside of Athens. This, um, this rock uh, Areopagus is, is named after the god Ares. Ares, big rock, is what it means. Some have translated it Mars Hill, depending on what they called that god. But in, th- in their culture, this place right here is where, where one of the gods, Zeus, judged Ares for, the, for crimes he'd committed. And, and this is where his punishment was um, set. So what they actually, because of that belief, they set up an actual courthouse right here on this rock, uh, just at the base of the rock. And this is where they brought Paul, to this actual place. See, what we're not reading here is a a Bible story. We're reading a historical document about an actual place where something actually happened. So he says they took Paul to this this place, to this court place, and said, Hey, you know what? You've been proclaiming a foreign god. That's not allowed here. So you need to explain what you're doing. You need to explain what you're talking about. And they said, So start from the beginning. This is new. In verse 20, it says, For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were, who were there, spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear new things. So they're like, this is new. Start from the beginning. Tell us about Jesus Christ. So for people who had never heard of Jesus Christ, they never had Sunday school, they never had any of that stuff, where did they start? Where did Paul take them and where did they start building their, um, their faith journey? And it says this. It wasn't, it wasn't in the Bible. In Acts 17, he shares exactly... Um, with them uh, about Jesus. And and you know what's interesting? It's what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, you bunch of scumbag, heathen, idol-worshiping Athenians, you are in big trouble now. I know the real God, and he's going to come and get you guys and punish you for all this idol worship. He doesn't say that, even though we know he was provoked by it. He was angry. He says all of that in a much nicer way and you hear it here in verse 22 then Paul stood in the midst of the area of Opagus and said men of Athens I perceive that in all things you're very religious he says guys I, I can see that you're you're seeking you're looking the other day I was watching television with some friends and a commercial came on for a, it was a beer commercial and it was all these people dancing at a party and this person said uh, he says you know what I see Mark I was like what he's like I see a bunch of dirty you know uh, uh, satanic I think he used you know disgusting sinful people he said, that's what I see And I thought, you know, I I didn't say it, but I thought, you know what what I see? I I see people. And Paul would have said the same thing. I I see people. I see people. And he says, you know what? I see that you guys are seeking. (laughs) Obviously, look at all the idols. Look at all the, look at all the altars that you have around this place. I can see that you guys are seeking. He says in verse 23, for as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God, to the unknown God. So he, he says to them, he says, you know, there's altars everywhere, but you guys don't have it figured out, do you? Because with every religion, there's this thing of uncertainty. It's not really, you don't really know. If it's just religion to you, you don't really know. You're like, there's things I know about God. There's, there's things I know, but there's things I don't know. There's things that I'm like, eh, that's a little bit whatever, but ah, I, I'm not sure. You know, I don't really know about all this, but just in case, I'm going to be in this place. Just in case. I was talking with some pastors this week in Jarvis, and they just mentioned the, the CE Christians or the EC Christians, the Easter and Christmas Christians. That's, that's the only time they show up. And he's like, How do we engage them to come back? And at other times, you know, either they're there, they don't really believe, but just in case, better be there. For some of you, you grew up in a tradition where it was like you yeah, had this piece of jewelry, something bad happened, you grab it, you say some prayers because don't know if it's going to work, but just in case. He says, you know, that's what happens when it's religion. He's like, says to them, guys, you know what? You, you don't know. It's like, you're guessing. You're guessing, aren't you? You got all these altars, but you got one to the unknown God because you just don't know. And it's weird, right? Because they have all these altars, but they have this one to the unknown God. So it's like this idea of, yeah, well, of course we have one to the unknown God. You know, if, if he shows up, we can tell him. We were expecting you, right? And we, we make sure that we've got that. But no, you're right. We're guessing. We're guessing. We, we don't really, we don't really know. And Paul says, you know what? You guys want to put me on trial for preaching some new God to you, but I'm not preaching a new God to you. It's genius what he does. He says, you know what? You're already worshiping him. You just don't know who he is. (laughs) You can't put me in jail because you're already worshiping him, but I'm just going to take the un off of known so you can know him. You're already reaching for him. You're already seeking him. There's something in you that says, I want to know, he says, but you can know him. In verse 24, he says, here's the God I'm talking about. God. He has the chance to explain. Say, here's where you can start with faith in Jesus Christ. He says God, the one who made the world. Doesn't say the Bible says, doesn't say anything like that. He says, God who made the world and everything in it, since he's Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. He's like, guys, the ones you're looking for, you keep looking for him in creation. You're not going to find him here. He's bigger than that. You look at a painting, you don't see the artist in the painting. You just see evidence that he was there. You see a sculpture. You don't see the sculptor in the sculpture. You just see that there was evidence of him there. You're looking at the planet thinking, we're going to find God somewhere here. You won't find him here because he's bigger. He actually holds the whole thing in his hands. He says about God, you can't build him a temple. And it says because in verse 25, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything. He doesn't need anything from you. All your other gods, they need stuff from you. That's why you're always putting gold there that the priest is stealing. You're putting your little trinkets there hoping you're going to have a baby or something. You kind of do these things to appease God. He doesn't need anything from you. Actually, the other opposite is true. He gives you everything that you have. Your breath, your life, the good things that uh, come. It's, It's God giving these things to you. And he says this in verse 26. And he has made from one man every nation to dwell on the face of the earth. He has determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwelling so that they would seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each of us. He says, you know what? He's not the God of a nation. He's not. This is not the Israelite God I'm trying to introduce you to. He's the God of all creation. He's not just the Babylonian, the Greek, whatever. He's the God of all of it. And he says to them, he says, why did he do all this? Why did he set all this up? was well, so that people would seek him. And that's religion. This idea of seeking um, for something out there, the problem is Paul's saying religion isn't the answer. It's not in the seeking, but he was hoping that you would seek him and the fact that you would find him. It says in verse 27, so that you'd seek the Lord in the hope that you might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. And then he quotes something interesting. He doesn't quote the Bible, he doesn't quote the New Testament, it wasn't there yet. He doesn't quote the Old Testament because they're Greeks, and they could care less about the Old Testament. He says this was one of their poets. It'd be like quoting Britney Spears in a sermon. Well, she's not really a poet, but you know. So he says this, "For um, uh, For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring, so, therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art uh, or man's devising. He says, You know the idea about God? He says, This whole idea is it's not this thing of where you're going to worship something that you made. You get a chance to worship someone who made you. Don't have this idea of worshiping something or being about the ritual or about the temple or something that you created, it's about the one who created you. In verse 30, it says, truly these times of ignorance, God overlooked. Truly these times of ignorance. He's not saying these people were ignorant. They weren't. They weren't dumb. But he says this idea, he says this idea of all the seeking for God and all of these kind of ritualistic things. "God, God understood that you were looking for him. God understood that that was all happening. But he says, but now, now something's different. Now something's changed. Now God's done something that changes the whole thing. He says this, but now, But now he commands all men everywhere to repent. Now he commands, and you're like, oh, I knew that was coming. But he doesn't say repent of sin. He doesn't mention anything about sin. Repent means to change your mind. He says, now you used to think God was like this. You used to think, you know, the unknowns of all of God. He says, but now? He says, yeah, he commands, he declares that you change your mind about who God is. Think differently about about who God is. And then in verse 31, He says, Because he's appointed a day on which he'll judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. See, he had been talking about Jesus. So they knew. They're like, okay, you were talking about this guy, Jesus. We want you to explain it. He comes and explains and said, That man, Jesus, God sent a man, perfect man, a God-man to the planet. And by that man, he's going to judge in righteousness. And they're like, there's somebody who can judge completely righteously? Yes. God sent that man to the planet. and It wasn't very far from here. It was in a place, you know, in Judea. It wasn't far away from here. And It happened. And they're all like, huh, well, that's kind, of, that's kind of interesting. And Paul says, but you know what? He's given us proof. He's given us assurance of this, that, that he sent this man, that he's the one that you're looking for. And they're like, okay, well, huh, proof? Assurance? We can ha- actually have proof? Because all they knew is, well, I don't really know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of guessing. He says, you can have proof. You can have assurance. You can have faith. You can have confidence that this man, Jesus, is the one that God sent. And they're like, okay, well, tell us, what did God do? How do we know that he's the one? And he says this, he raised him from the dead. He said something happened. He raised him from the dead. And so they would have, they would have thought, and they're like, huh, he raised him from the dead. Paul, that doesn't happen. But he says, you know what, that's, that's what happened. Something happened. I'm not telling you about something I read. There's nothing to read. Paul didn't read and say, oh, it's in the Bible. Jesus was raised from the dead. He didn't have that to read. He's saying, you know what, I know the people who are eyewitnesses. I was there when I saw them. And this account is telling the story of what actually actually happened. He says, and you can know. And then in Acts 17, verse 32, it says, And when they heard this, they were convinced and repented, and they tore down all their idols, and they became followers of Jesus. And that's not in the Bible. And none of you flinched. But you're thinking, you know what? If it was a Bible story, this is how it would have ended, right? If it was a story, that's the way it should end but it's not a story. It's an actual account in an actual place with actual people that says something more than that. And this is what verse 32 says. Some of them mocked. They said, come on, Paul. Nobody raises from the dead. We might be idol worshipers and not have it all figured out, but we know this much. Nobody rises from the dead. That just doesn't happen. Uh, and, And they're like, you know what, Paul, if that's a starting point, we aren't starting. And Paul's so convinced. He writes to the Corinthians about the same thing. He says, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, we're the, we're, we're the, we're the unluckiest people on the planet. We are, you know, the, this idea, it doesn't mean anything. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then you sitting here on a Sunday morning is the biggest waste of time. It is. Why, why would you be here if it, wasn't, if it wasn't true? This idea that maybe it's true, but he's calling you to more than Maybe. He's calling you to this spot where, and some of them said, forget it. If I got to believe that somebody raised, rose from the dead, forget it. I'm not going to believe that. And, he, and, and others were like, hmm, we got to hear more about this, it says. And they're like, Paul, you know the eyewitnesses? Yeah, I know that. And you said this just happened just a little ways away from here? Yeah, this, this really happened. And he's like, man, it just seems hard to believe. He's like, I know. I didn't believe it either at first. I tried to destroy the whole thing. I hated all these people. I tried to do whatever I could to destroy them, but then I met the risen Jesus. I met the risen Jesus, and God has done something. This isn't about God wrote something, God whatever. You just have to have blind faith. He's saying it's much more than that. He's done something. Something actually happened. In the last two verses, it says this. So Paul departed from among them, which is what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to kind of leave you with one thought and let you go. However, some men joined him and believed among them Dionysus the Areopagite, one of the people who was there, and a woman named Damaris and others with them. As Luke writes about, here's what really happened. Here's what really happened. And i leave you with where we started because the starting point for many of us, many of you, would be that it was this idea of the Bible and what the Bible says and some of those things are just believe and it's all going to work out. But the starting point isn't that. If we look at how they started, I believe that's how we need to start as well. And it wasn't, the Bible says, it. Our, 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 our starting point, our foundation for faith isn't the Bible. The starting point's a question. And the question isn't, did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? You know, we're Adam and Eve naked in the garden. Probably fun to discuss, but you know, the, the, um, the idea of did Noah really put all those animals on a boat? It's not scientifically possible for that much water to be in our atmosphere. Did Jonah, did he really get swallowed by a whale? None of those questions are the one that matter. Neither are these ones. Is God really good if all that bad stuff happens? (laughs) Does God really answer prayer if mine isn't answered? Is it all still true if it doesn't line up in my adult life? None of those are actually the questions that need to be asked. There's only one question and this is what Paul said to them. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? The question you need to ask yourself if you need a starting point for faith is who do I think that Jesus is? Because you know what's interesting? Once you figure that out, and realize, yes, I believe that Jesus was a son of God, that he died on this planet, that he was raised from the dead. <laughs> All those other things become a whole lot easier to reconcile. The problem is when they're your foundation, you end up stranded. You end up what Paul described as shipwrecked. Paul tells them he's got one chance to share the good news with people who've never heard, and here's what he says. He tells them about the God of creation who revealed himself in a man named Jesus Christ. Who, who loved and cared about people, who died, was buried, rose from the dead. And just in case, you know, it's hard to believe that God sent that man, he proved it by raising from the dead. And he says, this is, you can believe. You can believe not in some story. You can believe in something that happened. And it still matters for us today. And some of you are like, oh, you know what? This is like, this opens up a whole lot of questions. Well, it's a good thing because this is a, a series called Starting Point. We're just starting. There's going to be a whole number of things to, to look through, but I want to encourage you. If you're here this morning and you need to restart for your faith, I encourage you to ask yourself these questions. Did what I be- believed in childhood, is it holding up now? Or am I just a Christian? Is there an actively growing relationship with God happening in my life? Do I know Him? Or is it just, mm, I show up at church, I'm a Christian. To ask yourself, if you need a new starting point, and to ask yourself, who do I think that Jesus is. Because once you realize him as Lord, it changes your whole life. And if you don't, it affects your whole life. Can I pray for you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's alive, it's powerful, it's real, it affects our life. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your life for us. That really happens. Thank you that it changes lives still 2,000 years later, powerfully. God, we want to live our life lives giving our all for you as you gave for us. I pray this week as people wrestle with these thoughts that it would only draw them to you and to your word to seek you out and know you more, that their lives and their families and and, uh, situations would be affected in a different way because of you. God, I thank you for that. I pray, uh, pray, Holy Spirit, you do what I can't do and just keep bringing these things around in in, uh, our lives and taking each of us on the journey that you desire. Thank you for that. Commit today to you, to live for you, to your glory.